It's June 10th. Welcome to another edition of Aquarium Drunkard's Transmissions Podcast, our weekly interview series featuring artists reflecting on the creative process, history, and work. My name is Justin Gage, founder of Aquarium Drunkard, and this week, my co-host, Jason Woodbury, talks with counterculture icon David Crosby. Anyone familiar with his Twitter feed knows the Cross as a fount of opinion and insight, capable of immense warmth and good humor, but never one to pull punches. And next month, on July 31st, he's reissuing the catalog of CPR, his cheekily named late 90s and early 2000s supergroup with guitarist Jeff Pavar, Crosby's son, keyboardist James Raymond. And alongside the trio's two studio albums, 1998's CPR and 2001's Just Like Gravity, the overview is rounded out by two live albums, Live at Cuesta College and Live at the Wiltern, featuring musicians Graham Nash, Mark Cohn, and Phil Collins. All of these set Crosby off on a late career renaissance, one that continues to this day with recent albums like 2018's Here If You Listen. And a quick production note, Jason caught up with Crosby shortly after the murder of George Floyd. And we wanted to point out this conversation in no way reflects the remarkable events that have taken place over the last few weeks, but our latest issue of Sidecar, our newsletter, is dedicated specifically to the inspirational struggle for justice happening in the streets of America right now. All right, onwards, let's roll tape. Well, thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, talking about records or, or music or anything else is kind of strange today, obviously. I've, I've been sort of unable to tear myself away from Twitter, you know, reading updates and thoughts and you know, all, all the stuff that's happening right now. Uh, it's a strange time to say the least, but I appreciate you taking the time right now. Well, it, it, this stuff's important to me, man. It, it was a, you understand CPR, the strength of CPR, how good it was. That's what freed me to get the fuck out of Crosby, Stills and Nash, Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young World, which yeah. had gone sour, you know, years before. And was still, right. you know, and we were doing it, and it was exciting and everything, but it was mostly a paycheck. And and uh, and the look, I didn't start doing this to to make that paycheck. I started doing it because I love music, and CPR is purely love music. We didn't ever make any money. We didn't ever expect to make any money. We could feel that we had a chemistry. My son and I have a, an intense chemistry. Uh, and uh, so it, it, it had a, a significance, man, in my life. It was a resurgence of, of the joy of creating. You know, it, it was everything good about what I do was going away in the, in the you know, when we started Crosby, Stills & Nash, it was a joy. It was fun. We liked each other, and we really dug each other's work. And we, there was a great joy to it, okay? After 40 years, there wasn't. Right. And, but I was stuck there. I, you know, it was, I'd gotten sober, but I had not gotten free. And, and it was, I was still, you know, working for that paycheck. And, and I wasn't happy at all. The, the thing, the joy that you feel in, CP, in the CPR stuff, that's me rediscovering being in a, in a, a, a live musical chemistry that works. And, and man, it was so exciting to us. 
When you, when you listen to the, you hear that live at, at, at Casa College one, yeah. the first yeah. one? You can hear the joy. You can hear the excitement in our in, 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 that we have with the music. It's like it's plainly evident. You can hear it just as clear as a day. It, well, and and that's the significance of CPR in my life is just hard to to communicate to anybody. It, it, it's really it changed everything. And 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 really changed it for for the most positive direction it possibly could. For for a lot of years in the CSNY sort of universe, um, you were uh, you were like maybe the lightest when it came to recorded output. Um, but over this last decade, and really since the CPR period, you've been on this tear. Do you feel like like discovering that chemistry? was crucial in terms of informing what you're doing now with with your collaborators absolutely man that's when i broke free and started growing again i was pretty much now you notice as the as csn wound down i contributed less and less and 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 that's how it was going with me i wasn't doing i was you know we started making the Crosby Nash albums, and that was where you heard the best stuff that I did. Um, but, but I was still, you know, in a relationship that wasn't that was going downhill rather than uphill. Right. What happened, you know, with with my son James and with Jeff, we we had a, a, a an upward trajectory chemistry you know it was it was blossoming and blooming and getting more intense each day and that was the most appealing thing you could possibly have put in my path when you have you know I, i'm curious what you look for in a collaborator you've got people like you know jeff jeff pivar uh becca stevens now M- michael league on the wiltern record you've got someone like phil collins who's doing great work um when you're looking for somebody to work with what draws you to a player versus, you know, being uninterested in what they're doing? First thing is the writing. First thing always is the writing. What, what draws me to other musicians is when they craft a really, really, really good song that really moves me, that takes me on a little voyage. Then I, I know I'm dealing with somebody that, that I want to have a chemistry with. That's like, that's, it's, it's always that. It's always the quality of the of the song and the the way the words are juxtaposed with the music and and everything about it. It's it's the songs. That's you know. I don't like verbal ty- pyro- pyrotechnics. I don't like people showing off. You know how many turns they can make, how fast. Uh, the way they do in the pop stuff all the time now. Uh, I, I like people who can tell a story with a song. I, I, I think Bonnie Raitt is a great singer. I think James Taylor is a great singer. These are people who can who tell the tale with the song. And they're not they're not in there just trying to show off their chops. They're they're actually way deep into the story and they're really communicating the thing and they're singing at a, a much higher level. And that's that's my stuff. That's, that's where I live. As, as with like the CSNY stuff, you know, you already alluded to the fact that you started contributing less and less in terms of your own songs. Um, 
when I listened to this this first self-titled CPR record from from 1998, you know, you've got a song on the the, fi- the, the last song on the album, "Time Is the Final Currency." Um, I mean, that's that's just one of the finest songs I think you've e- you've ever written. Um, <laughs> Thank you, man. I like that one myself. Well, it's it's well, first and foremost, it's very it's interesting to me that 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 you know more than 20 years ago you were kind of reflecting on the ultimate uh topic you know mortality and uh and that's something that you've explored a lot on on kind of on your your more recent records but i'm curious when it comes to songcraft and to writing the kind of songs that you're you're talking about that draw you to somebody else a, a collaborator what changed in terms of 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 you being able to break through and write the songs that you wanted the kind of songs that you wanted to hear in that in that process you know working with with your son working with Jeff what what happened what shifted or what started to shift at least okay well here's the, the big the, there's two big shifts that took place the first one was me getting sober that got my mind working again the second was uh, me getting getting open to to writing with somebody else I've, I've been a pretty good writer uh, uh, most of my career uh, but the other person always thinks of something that you didn't it's like two painters and, and you, you have a different set of colors on your palette than he does and if you join up you have twice as many colors right so what happened with me is I, I I realized that if I could be open to it, if I wasn't like most people, are, their egos are involved in it, and they want credit for the writing solely, and they want to be able to say I did that all myself, and I don't care, I don't fucking care anymore, and I uh, they also want the money, and I don't care, I just not why I did it in the first place, so. Then, I, as soon as I got open to it, and I should have known right from wooden ships, I should have known as soon as I did wooden ships that that was a smart move, but I didn't. I thought that was an aberration, and, and I, I didn't write with anybody else for many years after that. Uh, but what happened as soon as I started writing with James was there was a chemistry, and a good fucking chemistry. And we. You know, write stuff that I, that I wouldn't on my own have created. Okay, so that's I'm doubling or tripling or quadrupling the output by ha- by uh, opening up the chemistry to more than one person at the same time. And and what happened is, was stunning music. If it had been crap music, well, then I wouldn't have gained anything at all. But it's good, man. Those, those songs are good. As soon as I, as soon as he came back with the music to Morrison, I, I knew we were into Pater. I knew it. Yeah. It was so right. I mean, I knew what? it right from that first song. Yeah. He's, if yeah, anything, what? James is a better writer than I am, man. And now he's turned into a better lyricist than he ever was. And it's he's on a fucking tear, man, right now. He's writing like a, a maniac. We just wrote another song yesterday. What's what what's that song reflect on? Or what's it about? Gosh. Love. 
they almost all are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, don't tell anybody. We don't really know. <laughs> that's our secret, you know. Uh, it's that was the single biggest change for me was opening myself up to writing with James and and sometimes Jeff too, but mainly James and. Then being being having done that, then encountering Michael League, and and having a, a chemistry with Michael League that was incredibly successful and wonderful, and we wrote three songs in three days the first time I got together with Michael League. We, uh, it's the quality level of the people that I'm writing with, man. Becca Stevens is one of the best writers in the world. No contest. And she does it every fucking day. She gets up, picks up her instruments, starts working right after breakfast. And the girl is not kidding. Uh, Michelle, same thing. Incredible writer. These are people that are, are good people, man. They're good human beings. I don't write with anybody else. If I don't really, really, really like you, actually love you, I can't do it. Because I have to trust you. I'm going to talk about the inside of my heart with you. That means I got to trust you, because um, I'm going to make myself totally vulnerable. That's what you have to do. You have to trust the other person to be able to do it. And uh, man, I, I can trust these people. I can trust them completely with my heart, and that's why I can be in a chemistry with them. That's, a large part of of what's happened, man, is just sheer goddamn luck. These people showed up in my life and changed my life because the writing is at the absolute center of my life. I have two magics, my family and the music. And this totally changed my ability to produce music. Normally, man, normally artists fade. They hit their 50s or their 60s and they start to slow down. By the time they get into their 70s, they ain't writing shit. I'm 78, I'm making my fifth record in a row, one a year, really good ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. they're really good records, and, and I've been doing it since we started CPR. The, the four CPR records, the two studio albums from CPR are some of the best write, songwriting I've ever done, ever, in my life. And that's me and James, 90% of it. In, a, in addition to uh, these newer records and these CPR records, you know, I went back and I revisited um, If I Could Only Remember My Name and, and the tapes actually from the Planet Earth Rock and Roll Orchestra. Um, you, were, you were working with really incredible collaborators back then as well. Um, uh -huh. you, you know, but you were younger, and I wonder if you understood the importance of the kind of chemistry that you're talking about now. I didn't Did yet. I was, I, yeah. I, I should, because I had already written wooden ships and, and I'd already, I already knew I, the evidence was right there in front of me, but I, I didn't pick up on it until, until I encountered James and we started writing for CPR. Then it was just too blatantly obvious how much he widened the, the road, you know, how much he brought to the party it was just too obvious. You couldn't, it was, absolutely undeniable when you go back and you listen to those records what what do you hear in terms of chemistry do you hear somebody who 
I mean, because the thing that strikes me about your your playing and your and your musical output is that uh, of all the, the the people sort of associated with you, it really sounds to me like listening is a crucial skill that you have in this way that is, um, you know. Uh, it seems to me like you're very interested in the song almost in a way that, at least when it's going at its best for you, seems to sort of remove you from the equation. There's not a whole lot of ego being the main force. It seems like there's a service to the song. And as a young person, did you... Stop yourself right there. You nailed it. Perfect. Uh, well, we... <laughs> Serve the song Yeah, is the key to the entire deal. That's... That's our secret. Uh, that's our secret motto: is serve the song, uh, the, the, and and that's really that's what I'm trying to do. I don't do this to show off the fact that I'm a good singer. I don't do it to get famous. I don't do it to make a whole lot of money. I do it because it's joy for me. And and the thing about it, the the musicality of it, is just so undeniable to me, man. I I. I don't know how anybody else can can not be moved by it. it. It's worth noting, of course, that these records, especially these CPR records, I mean, these are very jazzy, thoughtful, uh, strange, and musically complex things as well. Um, you know, you you you're a, a guy who came sort of from the folk world, but it seems to me like that um, that there's. A I listen passion. to a lot of jazz. Yeah. Yeah, James and I both uh, are jazz heads to the extent that, that he can play jazz and does play jazz and has a jazz group sometimes. Uh, uh, and I have listened to a fucking ton of it and like it. And it, it's, you know, that's, that's that if there's a direction I'm headed in, that's the direction I'm headed in. It's more complex, more intricate, more you know, jazz flavored stuff because I like complex chords and complex melodies. That's, I always did dig that shit and it shows up readily. And the more that it's me and James, the more it heads in that direction because we both, yeah, both love it. When you listen to those, to those records, those older records, you know, the, the stuff you did with members of the dead or, or members of the airplane, you know, um, there's also, of course, an attraction to the idea of exploring uh, sounds and uh, not, you know, you, you talked about the song craft being a, a major component of what you do. I'm curious how important the other end of it is, the improvisation, the sponta spontaneity, the, the in the moment sort of decisions that you can make that either color the songs or shape them. In, in it, it's very, very crucial, but it has mostly to do with your recording process. If you cut a thing 82 times, it's dead, man, when you fucking cut it. You have to know to go for those early takes, and you have to know how to keep the life in a recording. And and the, the openness to improvisation and the openness to a fresh look at something, that's crucial to having it stay very alive. It's absolutely necessary. Did it did it get hard did it get harder to to maintain that sense of of, of living uh, very you know, you know, very difficult in a CSN setting yeah yeah what why do you why do you think it was to beat shit to death what what do you think that was it was was it easier in the early days yeah because the music was better well, that's simple yeah yeah 
and and so by the time you launched this group, you felt like like CSN, you know, and sometimes Y had had sort of lost the ability to tap into the thing that you're talking about, the thing that you were originally drawn to. Yeah, it it got too big and too unwieldy, and and uh, it was it was always you know there's there's two different kinds of effort, man. There's competitive effort and cooperative effort. And competitive effort can produce good music. We were completely competitive with each other, and we did produce some good music. There isn't any question about it. It's on tape, so you can't argue with it. But uh, cooperative music is more fun and produces even better music. Yeah. That's where it wound up going. We went from being cooperative to being competitive, and it, it didn't... It just by the time I, I left CSN, man, it was awful. I did not want to be even and even see those people. I'm still, I think, kind of friends with with Stills, but it was just like not good, man. It was not good. And and this this is joy. This is, when as soon as you hear us start CSN CPR, you can you can hear the joy in it, man. It's <laughs> it's readily evident. It's like it has a big sign hanging on the front of it saying, "This is fun." <laughs> Do, do you think that the other that the other members of of the CSN CSNY you know uh, unit? I mean, clearly they heard these records. They must have known, and maybe. Do, 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 what kind of conversations did you have with those guys when when these records started to come out, if any? I didn't. Yeah. Don't need, I don't know that they ever even heard them. I, I don't think they've listened to my last four, or and I'm now working on the fifth one. I, I don't think they listen to my shit. I, I don't think they want to. Do you listen to their shit? Uh, yeah, I check it out. I mean, I, I Natchez's last album was awful. It was awful. It was awful. He did. It was no. It's not even vaguely in a million years close to what he's capable of. Hmm. It's it's dumb. It's angry. It's shallow. It's not good. So he did not do. He's not doing good work. If if he produces some more stuff that I can hear that that is good work, believe me, I'll give him credit for it. But that last record sucked. Uh, Neil, I, I, Neil is capable of doing stunning work. Country girl. Helpless. Come on. He set the bar very high. Old man. Man needs a maid. Holy fucking shit. Ohio. Give me a break. Cortez the Killer. He's done a lot of good shit. He's not wrong about, you know, that food company. Oh, Monsanto? Yeah, no, he's totally right. They're monsters. But it's a shit record. Right. His records are not. That last thing that he did, that was like supposed to be monumental, and it was there was nothing there. And he was doing it with Nils, and Nils is a goddamn genius guitar player. Uh, yeah, I've had the I've had the the fortune to spend some time talking with Nils, and yeah, he certainly is an incredible an incredible musician. You know, also a, a, a wonderful human being, a really great guy. But in case, no, I don't think the work that I've seen come out of them, the, you know, stills, I understand what's, what, what the problem is with stills. He can't hear. And so it's very difficult for him to sing in tune. So it's very hard for him to do anything anymore. Uh, I get that. That's not his fault. Well, 
you know, he's the one who turned the guitar up. So, well, <laughs> that's 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 true. He played pretty loud. But he but his stuff with Judy Collins, eh, well, I uh, the. I wish that they were happier in their lives, and I wish that they were producing music that that's up to the level that they're capable of, because all three of them are good. Uh, Neil is capable of, of monumental fucking work, and I don't see it coming out of any of the three of them. Please, you know, I, it's gonna, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but I don't. I don't hear it. Do you think, though, that You've you've known these people for for so long. We're talking, you know, what fifty years, more than fifty years at this point. Um, yeah. At this point, this is a really generalized question, and it's not uh, me trying to to trap you or trick you into saying something controversial. Do you think that those guys are all, at the very least, being true to themselves in the same way that you're being true to yourself right now? I don't think it's good for me to try and judge. Sure, sure. You know, I, I can judge their, their musical output. I, I, I can stand in judgment of that, uh, and it's a, a fair thing. I can listen to some music that they put out publicly and say, well, okay, that does not get it for me. Uh, that's, that's fair. You know, they can say that about mine. I, I, how they're living their lives and what they're, how they're approaching their art, mm, not for me to say. Sure, sure. It, you guys served as as a unit, you know, for so for so long. Always a very strange unit, one that you could interact with the main group. You could go off on your own. It was designed that way, right? I mean, the idea was What's that the idea? that it could be a, a a kind of a constellation of of people, and that you could go back and forth. Um, do you feel like when things were working, when it was at its best, which I think it's clear that it it was uh, there are multiple times over the long history of the group where it, it was firing on all cylinders. But when things were working, if you had to boil it down to an essential element, what allowed CSNY to work well when it was when it was working? Stunning songs. Hmm. Pretty hard to ignore wooden ships. Pretty hard to ignore helpless. Pretty hard to ignore you know. Love the one you're with. How? What are you going to do when somebody comes in and with carry on? You're going to be excited, man. You know, even teach your children. I mean, Nash is the lightweight for the writers, but it, it, it all all of us brought in songs that were good. You you wrote you wrote some of some really tr truly incredible albums with just just you and Nash, though. I think it is worth noting that the. There is good work there. I, I, I think uh, Nash and I lasted longer as a, a good musical chemistry than CSN or CSNY by quite a bit. But that one went sour too. Yeah, yeah. Just time? Was it? Was it just? Was it just distance? I mean, you know, what causes? You know, like human lives don't hour. go in parallel paths, man. They. they you're always growing closer to to people who are growing further away from them because uh, you are you're changing as a human being as you grow and uh we we grew in different directions you've mentioned wooden ships a couple times obviously one of you know your all-time classics um 
I think from wooden ships all the way. It was the first time that I successfully wrote with with somebody else. Yeah, yeah. And, well, me and Cantner uh, uh, had done. Well, let's see. We did. Have uh, Have you seen the stars tonight? That we'd written that one together, but we. I had not written very much with other people, hardly ever, and and that kind of opened the door. And I wish I had noticed, I wish I'd paid attention to to how much, you know, it opened the door and done it more. I should have been doing it from then on, and I didn't. I wrote by myself almost entirely for many more years after that. When I listened to that song, you know, all the way to, uh, I really enjoyed the the podcast that you did with Steve Seibelman, you know, and you guys talked and got really deep. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a good cat. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that, you know, I, I he you guys discussed the song Vagrants of Venice, which um, is one of your more recent works that's really in the same lineage as wooden ships in terms of sort of a science fictional scope. And I was interested, you know, uh, science fiction, dystopia, you know, utopia, all of these ideas. Have you always been sort of a, a sci-fi head to some yeah. degree? Yeah. I, I got turned on to a science fiction author named Robert Heinlein when I was still very young and uh, read everything he wrote. And mm-hmm. that turned me on to science fiction, and I've read most of the good stuff. And uh, so it's a natural thing for me. I, I think that Vagrants of Venice, that's a, that's a really good example of what it's like to get into a good chemistry. Becca Stevens just outdid herself, man. She wrote the music to that and killed it. She did a great fucking job. Are you? Are you? It's one of my more adventuresome sets of words. I was really happy about the words, but they're very. Is that you? Are you? Are you playing electric guitar on that one too? No, that's Becca. That's all Becca. That's Becca playing a seven-string, fan fret guitar for the first time in her life. Wow, it's a really, it's a, it's a really incredible sound. Oh man, she's. Watch out, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can yeah. say is watch out. Don't get yeah. in her way. She is gonna she is not gonna stop and she is a stunning singer and a, can play anything well that has strings on it. Doesn't matter what the fuck it is, she can play it. And uh, and she's only getting started, man. She hasn't even started playing lead yet. And she's gonna play lead. Trust me, she is. Uh she's a, a just a killer writer. A brilliant writer. That's the kind of luck I've had, man. It, 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 you know, Michael League is responsible for me knowing Becca and Michelle, and and I, I ran into three of the best writers in, in my life, all at the same time. Boom, three of them, and they all are willing to put up with me being the idiot that I am, and they're willing to write with me. So the the chemistry is there, man. We've written some good shit. You, you mentioned how adventurous those lyrics are and how you're in sort of, um, to some degree, uncharted territory for, for yourself, you know? And, and it's a really interesting set of, of images and, and sort of an interesting vision of, of the future. Um, I, I wonder, you know, I, I, can't, I can't pass up the opportunity to talk to someone who was at the forefront of the counterculture in the 1960s. And, uh, you know... You're seeing a lot of people uh, talk about how right now is is reminiscent of those times in some ways. Um, 
And I just wondered if, if, if it felt that way to you. Um, th does it feel like, say, the late 60s did uh, again? Or does it feel like something completely different? I, I'm just curious your perspective. I, it feels different. Uh, there is less innocence and there is more evil. And, uh, and these are... These are trying times, man. Everything about the, everything that we think is valuable, everything you know, the things that we hold dear—intelligence, compassion, courage—all that stuff is being tested drastically by ignorance and, and cruelty and greed and racism. And it's it's a, these are dark times, man. This is some seriously contested time, and it, it's it's. It's a bitch. You, you know, you you were part of of the uh, the defining or the outlining of of a kind of dream that people had, you know, in the late '60s, uh, mass protests, anti-war, civil rights, the fall of Nixon. That sense of energy that you felt. Do you feel anything like that? today some yeah I, I I do I you know I feel I feel both ends of the scale on the one end I, I, I feel you know absolute horror in 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 our president and the people that, that are that he is encouraging and on the other hand I look at you know Greta Thunberg and uh, and I know that there, there is a good human being there that is a fine human being with tremendous courage and intelligence, standing up for what she believes in. And she encourages me enormously. As the, as the decades went on, you know, after the 1960s, uh, you know, you saw that dream that I talked about sort of being put through the ringer, you know? Um, one of the things that always... Because that's always, happened over and over again, man. In the 60s, we, here we, this, we have this blossoming dream, and then they shoot three of our leaders in yeah. a row. You Not know? to mention the students at, at Kent State, you know? Huh? Just a little bit later, you know? Yeah. As that, as that dream was tested and, 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 and as people tried to destroy that idea, um, you know... I, I just wonder what what did it what did it feel like you know David to 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 try to be very like direct like you've always struck me as a true believer you know not a not a, a not a you know I don't I don't uh, I don't agree with every single thing I've ever heard you said but I've never doubted that you believe what you're talking about and that your heart is fully invested in it and I have I have to imagine that in the in the 70s or in the 80s as you saw you know, all of these progressive people become, ah, whatever, lack of a better term, yuppies or whatever, you know, you saw a lot of people sort of sell out all those ideals. And I just, I just wonder, I mean, how, how, how were you able to process maybe the way that hurt on a personal level because you had invested, um, you know, I don't want to overvalorize, you know, but I think you, you, you clearly believed in what you were talking about and, and it must've been difficult to watch that, you know, people discard so much of what you you 
guys felt like you had done. Was is is that accurate? Is that a fair way to put how it how it felt? Yeah. And it's hard. It's very hard to watch. Did you you know, you're 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 you've made no secret of your struggles. Do you feel like some of that was a, a, a an outgrowth of maybe cynicism or or damage to your to your your ideals? I don't know. I, I think that'd be hard for me to, to pin it down and say, you know, what the cause of any any of it is too complex or too many too many variables, too much stuff affecting me to yeah pin it to one thing. I have the like a long uh, list of <laughs> major effects landing on me. Yeah. So I, I no. In in 2006, CSNY went on the road, right? You know, the the Freedom of Speech tour, and and it was it was explicitly um, a protest tour. You guys were playing music that was head on addressing what was happening right now. Um, and I've seen the documentary about it. I know that those songs, those progressive songs, the reaction to them was mixed. Uh, some of the well, it depends the, on where you are geographically. If you start singing bad about George W. Bush in, in Atlanta, Georgia, um, back then, yeah. Well, that, that was going to leave. Yeah, have <laughs> a third of the audience walked out. Was what did what did that feel like? Did it feel like um, feels um, like you're doing the right thing? It did feel that way. Our listen, the thing that pisses me off is that we should be singing that song, "Let's Impeach the President for Lying." Now, yeah. then we thought this was the worst president we'd ever seen. We hadn't seen Donald Trump. Now we should be singing. That's one of the reasons I'm pissed at those guys, man. Is is Neil, because I slagged his girlfriend, is mad at me. Okay, I get it. I understand that. Doesn't want to be in a group with me. I get it. That's totally fine. Uh, but right now, CSNY could do some good. We could help this next election. And this next election is going to define the life of the United States of America. And it's going to be a, dirty, as a dirtier fight than anything since the Civil War. And we could help and they should know that. Neil should know that. And if it's more important to him to have his pillow talk tell him that he's a brave guy for defending his little sweetie, you know, I don't know. I think I think he's. I think he should look at what we could do for the country and and want to do it. I don't really want to play with those guys that much. I, I know where the magic is, and I know how powerful it is, and I know that we could do some good for this country. So that kind of ticks me off that, that he's not willing to you know set it aside. I don't ask him to like me. I ask him to sing with me, and that he could do it. He knows how. I, I know how. We could do it. We're pros. Uh, and it would help. That That's a, a bone of contention in my my side. I, I wish that they, you know, I think Stephen would, would love to do it. You know, I, I, I have no idea how Graham feels about anything. Um, although he and, he and Stephen both did send me messages of condolence about my kid that just died. Yeah. And I, and I want to wish you, um, peace right now too. That, that's, that's terrible. Um, and I'm very sorry that that's, that that's happening. Um, 
I am sorry about what happened, and I'm glad that those guys reached out. If you guys were to get together, you know, and try to do something, uh, what do you think that would look like? I mean, do you do you do you feel like? No, we know how to do it. It's just uh, uh, if we were to get together, we would it would just be player hits. We, it would just be we do you know a, a reasonable length of set. There wouldn't be any new stuff. It would, it would be just the songs that you love, and we could do it. We know how to do it. Yeah. It's, it's not impossible. It's just hard. And, uh, and you know, I, it's, it's not a big deal. I, I just know that we could do some good, and I wish we could, would do that. But, you know, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. I know that you are obviously you remain you know very politically active, and I know that you're involved in stuff right now. Um, do you get the sense? Well, I'm trying to get rid of this president. He's a, he's terrible. He he is uh, beyond belief. But um, but I'm curious if you feel like, let's say, step one, we get we get rid of him. You know, we listen to the. Let's impeach the president. Or well, they they already did that. But um, it, you know, let's say he's gone. You know, there's still a lot more work to be done after that, right? I mean, do you do you feel like um, tons? Yeah. This is, this country needs a, a whole lot, and and we can do it. And it is it is a wonderful idea. Representative democracy is a great way to do it. And we have a system that, that does work when it's not being abused, but it's been abused. We, we have a situation where the, too much of the control of our country is in the hands of corporations. And they are greedy, and they don't care about people at all. They care about the profit line. And they are a that is, uh, you know, they need to be controlled for the benefit of the populace. The, the the government should work for the benefit of the populace, and and it isn't right now. When I listen to you say things like that, it makes me think about that that true believer thing that I mentioned. How do you hang on to a sense of idealism and a hope for justice? Um, I don't know, man. I really don't know. It's kind of inherent in me in the first place. You know, my set of values is, is, is has evolved over the years to what it is, and I, I didn't I, I didn't decide to feel this way. I just do, you know, and I'm trying to honor it. Yeah. Do you feel like that influences the, the records now in a way? Because, I mean... Aside from the topical songs, let's think about a song like "To Go Back to Vagrants of Venice." You know, um, that's you—that's you talking about climate change as much as it is anything. You know, or, or yeah, and, and so, so I guess what I mean is, is when you're when you sit down and you're writing songs, it doesn't sound to me like you decide I'm going to write a song about climate change. It just seems to me like I don't do it. That, I don't quite it that way. Yeah, that's, that usually winds up with clumsy stuff. No, uh, don't know how to describe my songwriting process, but you know, something comes and it's a spark, and I follow it. You uh, have have in addition to the CPR albums, there's a there's a new live set that's up on streaming services as well. Um, I'm curious. How much do you have in the archives and the vaults of stuff that, for whatever reason, hasn't seen the light of day? And are you interested in getting 
some of that archival stuff out there? I don't think there's much that hasn't been mined. You know, uh, people are always talking about the Paro stuff, you know, but it, it, it was just leftovers from that first solo record. Uh, there wasn't anything really finished or useful there. I, I don't, uh, you know, there's probably stuff somewhere, you know, but it's been mined. Uh, Nash is good at that, and he he's done it a couple of times. And I, I, I just, uh, I, I don't think there's a whole lot there now. You're focused more on. There's probably on, some in in my in my stuff. There's probably some, yeah. But you're you're focused more on on what's coming next. It seems to me like you really truly. Fuck truly, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, wouldn't you be if you if the, if what was coming to you was at the level of the stuff that's been coming to me? Wouldn't you be excited? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder, um, you know, before before we bring this to a close, if you would mind. Um, one of the the I was texting with a friend before this, and and I uh, had told him that we were gonna we were gonna be speaking, and he brought up about those CPR records. How when they came out, everybody was blown away by how um, how stunning the Sonics were, and and how much in terms of that jazz rock thing that we have already touched on, you guys seem to be evoking certain commonalities with Steely Dan. And I just wondered if you could tell me, uh, what, what was hearing Steely Dan for the first time like for you? And, and, and have you sort of maintained that fandom all these years? Yeah, absolutely. It, again, it's the writing. You know, Donald and Walter wrote better than almost anybody. That stuff is just beyond belief, man. You can't touch it. Uh, they they were they were stunning writers, and that that then they were really good at singing and playing. But they were even better at record making. Uh, uh, they, they, but it all starts with the writing. They they excited the hell out of me. You know that I got to sing with them, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was so much fun, man! I couldn't believe it. I, I saw, I went, I went to see him here in Santa Barbara, and uh, they had heard that I, I had with CPR done uh, "Home at Last" at some point, and so they said, "Hey, why don't you sing Home at Last?" And I said, "Well, sing one of your songs in front of you, Donald." Yeah, that's a tall order. Yeah. What I'll do is I can sing, the, I can sing with the girls uh, on the chorus. So I did. And Donald said, what do I got to do you know, to get you to sing lead on a side? I, I got to do. Uh, and he said, do I have to learn wooden ships? And I said, you, you don't know wooden ships. He says, we can learn it in 30 seconds. And I said, yeah, sure. And I thought he was just fucking with me because he's like, he's like me. He likes to fuck with his friends. And uh, so uh, later on, I sent him a tweet. I mean, I sent him a text saying, you're just kidding, right? And he said, was I kidding or wasn't I? And so then I know he's fucking with me, right? So then in the middle of the night, like 2, two o'clock in the morning, I get a, a text from him saying, you know, I just read the words to Wooden Ships. That's a really good song. I'm going to tell the girls in the band to learn it. And then I realized he was serious. So I went to New York when they, when they played the Beacon, and I sang it with them twice live. And that was so much fun, man. I thought I was going to die and transcend to go to heaven right there. So here you are. Yeah. 
Still, still. Probably my most favorite band. Well, um, David, it's it's really it's really been great to talk with you about some of this stuff. Um, Listen, I've been very honest with you and, and pretty free with my opinions here. So I, I hope that I don't get in trouble. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't want you to get in trouble, that's for sure. I do know this. I, I wanted to ask you before we go. Um, you're, you're a pretty active Twitter user. This is a slightly less heavy topic than some of what we've, uh, we've been on. But do you get sick of people asking you to judge the joints they've rolled, or are you, are you into that? Oh, no, I think that's funnier than shit, man. That's funny. You're pretty talk it talk about being free and honest with your opinions. You don't hold back when it comes to that. <laughs> it's a chance to be funny, man. It's okay. I well, need well, to I get back to work. Are you good? I am good. David, thank you so much for taking the time. All right. Enjoy your enjoy your Sunday, okay? And be well. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh, sure.